Hello and welcome to CM Conversations. I'm today's host, Lyle King, and my role at CM Industrial is to specialise in recruitment for the water and wastewater markets across the globe. In this episode of CM Conversation, I talk to Gary Tabor, MD of Analytical Technology, ATI, a business that was recently acquired by US-based Badgermeter, along with Samantha Vince, Head of Water Quality at UK water company, Bristol Water. In my conversation with Gary and Samantha, we discuss how digital solutions are changing the landscape of the water industry and what we must do to bridge the talent gap. So here it is. I hope you enjoy listening to our discussion. Right, so welcome to today's CM Conversations. I'm Lyle King, today's host. I'm a recruitment consultant and headhunter working for a company called Charlton Morris. And I'm joined today by Gary Tabor, Managing Director of uh, Analytical Technologies, ATI, in the UK, as well as Samantha Vince, Head of Water Quality at Bristol Water. How are you both? Fine, thank you. Nice to be here. Thank you very much. Very well. Thank you very much, Lyle. Very good. Thank you very much for, for joining us today. So the topic of today's conversation is very much centered around how digital technologies are changing the landscape of the water industry. Obviously, in a time where remote monitoring is at the forefront of, of what everybody's doing, it seems that it's now a time to, to really talk about these, these issues. Um, so I suppose before we get into that, Gary and Samantha, if we could just quickly have a, a quick run through of, of your guys' background. So, so Gary, could you just give us a quick run through of, of the work that you do and, and, and your background? Mm, certainly, thank you. Yeah, um, well, ATI, ATI stands for Analytical Technology. So you can gather straight away from that that we're a business that makes analytical measuring equipment. And uh, it's water quality measuring equipment that we do. We've been doing it for well over 30 odd years. And we supply a great deal of the UK with water quality monitoring sensors. But more importantly, what we do is we, we don't just supply a sensor. We like to think that we're a solutions company, so we provide a solution to water companies to help them do their, their, do their work better. And increasingly what we've done is we've developed ourselves into the, a solution of smart water, which is taking those sensors and really building a solution that's smart, it's digitalized, and it gives people more actionable insights. So that's in a nutshell what we do. And uh, yeah, Samantha, please could you, you know, give us a quick run through of your background at Bristol Water? Yeah, of course. So um, I've been in the water industry now for about 25 years now. I've had quite varied roles, um, working originally for a water company in the, in the east of England and moving on to the regulator, which is the quality regulator DWI, and then to Bristol Water. Um, here at Bristol Water, we are a really uh, a good company. It's a small company. It serves just over 1.2 million customers um, in the Bristol and sort of Somerset areas. Um, it's originally started 175 years ago by a group of philanthropists. So it's uh, producing good, clean water for people of Bristol. And hopefully, it obviously continues to do that to this very day. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much uh, to the both of you for that. Um, so as we sort of touched on then at the beginning, the, 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 you know, the overall conversation, the overall theme of, of today's topic is how the water industry is adapting to a new digital age. And... I suppose one of the things that I would like to start off with is what the main challenges are and, and maybe why the water industry, and, and when we, we say the water industry, we are referring to the utility networks, obviously, but you know why maybe the water industry hasn't yet adopted it or why it's been slow to adopt to that change. 
Yeah, I, I think there are a number of challenges, actually. I'm sure Gary would agree with me. Um, I think the water industry is set up very differently than many other utility industries that you might think about, you know, as opposed to sort of gas or electricity. Um, it's it's managed very heavily by the regulators, to be honest, and there are a number of regulatory challenges. We've got the quality regulators that I already mentioned, DWI and also Ofwat. Um, and everything has to be, the water that's supplied to customers has to meet very stringent and obviously rigorous um, uh, legislation and guidelines. Um, within some of that, we are actually quite restricted as to what we can do to demonstrate that, to be honest. So it's, it's quite prescriptive. I think in terms of the also the regulatory model, the water industry is funded in a particular way. Um, so some of the challenges are around also our asset base. Um, things have remained largely unchanged in water treatment and actually the way we produce, it, produce water for many, many decades. So that's, that's an enormous challenge for us. Um, the other thing is also about sort of carbon neutrality as well. Um, we've been, yeah, we, we are a little bit sort of late, I think, to the party with, with various different things. Um, but as I say, I think a lot of it is sort of the regulatory framework. That's it's a, it's a challenge for us. I suppose to, to ask the same question to you then, Gary, because it's, it's interesting to see the different points of view here. Because obviously we've got the input from the supply chain, so to speak, from Gary's side and, and ATI, and then Samantha very much from the, the utility perspective. So it's it's interesting to see the, the different inputs. So from your side, Gary, what would you say the main challenges are? Well, I think that from where we stand, it's very much the industry's moving towards being more customer-centric. The regulator, to its you know, to its benefit, has, has actually tried to focus in terms of the customer's experience. So that if we come from that position, the way in which supply chain has always provided instrumentation is very much process-driven, or it's in in terms of water quality. Once once it's produced in a water factory, let's say, or a water treatment plant, and it disappears into distribution, which is the biggest part of the asset, it's it's by and large invisible. And and the way in which the industry monitors the quality once it gets out there is 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 very much sort of random. It's based on wet chemistry sort of 1970s technology with armies of people running around taking samples, bringing them back to a central laboratory, analysing them. So it's a snapshot of what's happened in the past and it's not real time, it's not up to date. And for an industry that's migrating towards being customer centric, I think the public requires to know, they need assurance, they need to know that when they turn that tap on, it's fit and wholesome to drink so that's the way i see it but that you know that gives me in the supply chain different challenges because i need to have products that are going to be out there in remote locations not going to be mains powered they don't have any uh, reagents no chemicals and i need to be able to connect to connect all of that up in a sort of neural network and feed that information back to sam samantha yeah absolutely so just to touch on gary's point there um what we've seen in the past as well is that the water industry is very hungry, actually, for this information and very hungry for this technology. But as I've sort of mentioned, that regulatory framework, the what I would say is that up until probably, you know, a few years ago, until um, the inline sensors and monitors arrived on the market, it didn't necessarily for us have that reliability or give the same assurance as some of the sort of age old practices that you mentioned there, Gary, that have been been ongoing. Yeah. But now things have really caught up. You know, the technology is there. It is reliable. It's portable. Um, you know, it, it does give the same level of accuracy. In fact, if not, well, it's giving more because it is real time. And it's, it's moving us to where we want to be in the water industry. We want to act proactively. We don't want to act in the past. Um, so I think we think, you know, now is the time. I think we're quite excited and we want to sort of move towards that. 
Yeah. And I, again, coming back to that, Lyle, the challenge, I think, is, as Samantha says, this isn't new technology. It's, it's based upon, you know, technology that's been around for a while. It's proven. We know that. There's enough data to demonstrate that it's reliable and accurate, rep reproducible. I think the biggest challenge for the industry, and Samantha can correct me here, is it needs strong leadership. It needs leadership from the top of the industry and from the regulator to say it isn't good enough to report on water quality after something's gone wrong. You know, we need as, an, as a sector to be moving towards this customer-centric. So that's the challenge. The challenge is to move us, yeah. to move yeah. us forward. Um, it needs leadership uh, and, and that desire to improve upon what we've got because everything else is ready. Uh, absolutely. And as you say, Gary, we monitor our sort of water treatment works already have this type of technology and it's monitored, you know, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Uh, but with networks, we are relying on teams of samplers that actually go around and test the water and collect samples from customers' taps each day. Um, and while it works, while it works, you know, it's well, it's, that, it's, it's accurate, it's very time consuming. And actually, to be honest, we don't want to. We don't want to react after something like, for example, a mains burst has happened, um, and we also don't want to know that the quality of the water isn't what it should be. We don't want to know that a day later. We want to know that at the time. So then we're able to mobilise the workforce and actually get them out there, investigate, and take you know take appropriate action. And for the, for the customer, that's mm -hmm. absolutely paramount. They want water which is there and they can take for granted all the time, and it is it is safe and clean. To, to, to jump in on that, then, obviously. In an ideal world, brilliant to have real-time monitoring of these systems and, and, you know, have instant data of water quality. Why do you think there is this hesitation to roll these systems out? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a really good question, and there are a few different factors to that. Um, some networks are easier to manage than others and they're more suited to this type of technology and it depends on the intrinsic level of understanding you have about your network um, and also the, and also the appetite for this you know it depends it depends if you if you if you like innovation and if, if it depends on where you put your emphasis um, but actually as I say unfortunately it has been that um, in order to have something accepted by the regulator I don't want to dwell too much on the regulator but actually to have something accepted you've got to be able to prove it's, it's really reproducibility and reliability but as I say we're there now so actually it's a shift in thinking it's actually for us in Bristol Water um, we've worked really closely with our supply chain partners to actually show it can be done so I think it's actually also for industry as well to take a lead and actually say well we want this and it's to convince the regulator that it does work and also to, to tell our customers about it because there's nothing bad about it. It, it. it will help us target investment. It would help us uh, work out where we're likely to have uh, problems within our network. Um, it'll also show us trends. It's going to tell us exactly what the water's doing at, at any given time, um, which is great for our customer because it keeps it a consistent um, product, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I, I think really, as I say, it's, it's working all together to actually to do that convincing and to say now's the time, you know, it can work. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm perhaps going to do say something a little bit controversial. Not every water company uh, <laughs> is quite um, valued as perhaps Bristol Water uh, into their drive to produce that type of quality for their customers. <laughs> for me, from the supply chain, speaking to every water company, the phrase you used was in an ideal world, and, and that's used a lot. Well, in an ideal world, of course, we do that, but we don't live in an ideal world. So, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of water companies. When you, when you start to, to peer under the veneer at water quality within networks, you might be horrified. And I think 
that's one of the biggest challenges. It's an acceptance of where we are, of reality, and being brave enough to actually go and have a look and say, yeah, we need to address these problems and we need to get on top of them. And I think, you know, a company the size of Bristol Water, that, that this is a sweet spot of a size almost to be able to do that. You know, a million customers is quite nice business, um, but the network isn't too dispersed. Yes. Some of the large water companies like Seven Trent, maybe, uh, you know, more rural, it, it becomes a bit more of an odious task. That said, that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. We shouldn't do it. Um, we should do it. And it sort of like comes back to investment in, in infrastructure. So I pose the question, is it cheaper to dig up the ground and put all new pipe in? Or is it, is it less expensive and more productive to put online monitoring in that's going to better manage that asset and maybe stretch it out a bit longer? And so there's, there's sites, major types of decision have to be made yeah. at a very much corporate level within a, within a water company, Lyle. So I suppose, you know, if we can then convince every water company to roll these systems out, which is, again, something that's in an ideal world, but what would the main advantages be then? We've obviously talked about instant monitoring and, and instant data, um, but what are the main advantages for water companies that adopt these new digital technologies and these digital systems? Well, that, that, that's quite straightforward because you can see it. In, in any, over the last three or four years, the systems we put in, we put some large ones in. We've been fortunate enough to get involved with Yorkshire Water. That's the largest one that I'm aware of anywhere in the world at the moment. And that's, a, that's a big one. And that involves a lot of people providing different technologies into that. And there's another one in United Utilities as well. They're doing a smart, a smart town in Macclesfield. Again, that's bringing a consortium of collaborative technologies all in together. And you can see very, very quickly when you bring all these different data sets in from pressure, flow, acoustics, um, pressure transients, water quality, and you cluster all that information together, you get a much, much more granular picture about actually what is going on in your living system. And therefore, as Sam was saying, you can proportion your, your, your most valuable resource, which is your people, to areas where something goes wrong. You can see it. Yeah. You can almost predict it. There are precursors when you bring all this information in yes. that says, look, we can see something. We can see a burst. We can see it as a leak before it becomes a burst. Yeah, that's what we like. Yeah. And we can act accordingly. We can take those valuable resources, get them out there and deal with that leak at that stage before it becomes a burst, rips the road up, and closes everything down and causes millions of pounds. That's right. And obviously inconvenience to the customer. The other, the other thing is about targeting. Obviously, you know, there's a certain pot of money that obviously companies have and have to be used um, across the sort of asset base. I mean, within the UK, we actually still have an awful lot of what is cast, cast iron water mains, to be honest. Um, and it differs from uh, region to region. Say, for example, um, you know, say, for example, in the London area, there's still a, a huge predominance of cast iron water main and that they're aging and they actually can they break down over time. They only have a certain lifespan. But actually using this type of technology, we can actually see where sort of um, there might be problem areas where the water quality isn't as, isn't as we want it necessarily. And it can then be used to target investment. So to, it can be used to target things like relining or replacement. So there's it, multiple uses actually for having this type of um, this type of sensor there. Yeah, and I'd, I'd add also, if I might, I mean, one of the things that water companies do on a regular basis, if you think about it, as Samantha was saying, we've got cast iron pipes. Some of it's 140 years old. 
Yeah. Let's be honest, it's, it's 140 years old. You can't close Oxford Street down every every five minutes. It's it's difficult. We live in a congested, congested country. So we have to manage it. And what digital smart water brings is that visibility where we didn't have it. As Samantha says, it allows us to make those decisions about reconditioning. Reconditioning is very, very important in old mains, making sure that it's flushed through, that it is clean, and it is working efficiently. And it allows us to target those areas proportionally and save money, and save money, actually. Do it properly, get audited data that says this has been cleaned properly, the turbidity or the value of you know how clean that water is, it's clean, we know it is, and then that's used then as an audit trail to back it up. Just, just to touch on that then, so you mentioned obviously that there's aging infrastructure and that's obviously a, a problem worldwide, you know, perhaps not in some of the newer cities of the world, but you know, generally speaking, aging infrastructure is a leading cause for leaks and, and everything like that. Do you have any data that would show how these digital solutions prolong the life of these networks generally that are aging? Certainly. I mean, Samantha can tell you about the great work they've done with Imperial College in Bristol Water with their field lab um, and just how they've used that. Samantha would be better qualified to tell you than I would, but how, that, how they've actually used that information to effectively manage their network. Yeah, absolutely. So within Bristol Water, we have a really, we're very lucky, actually. We're one of the few water companies in the country that have got a very interconnected network, actually. Um, so we're able to move water around from all different parts of the network um, by valving and changing the operation of, of, of the, of the, of the um, system. Um, we have what we call the field lab that we work with with Imperial College, and it's an area to the north of Bristol. It um, heads up towards one of our works, Perton and Littleton, um, and we're actually able to sort of move water around. With the monitoring up there, we've actually been able to um, work out exactly what the water does 24 hours a day, to be honest. So we can see how, because we the interconnectivity we have, the, the water quality does differ. So in, the, in terms of things like the chlorine levels, um, a little bit in terms of some of the, the sort of the hardness, so that the things that actually your customer might notice and what we're able to do, particularly, it's been very interesting during COVID time, actually, because we have a lot of our big commercial customers are, are at that part of our supply system. We're actually able to monitor the, the changes that our customers might notice um, using that equipment. So we're able to look and we're actually able to trim our chemical dosing at some of our treatment works to actually take, in, take that into account. So for us, that's where this is starting to become really practical and really beneficial. If we're actually able to make the, the changes that we need at the source, so actually at the source water and in the treatment works, um, so that the best, you know, best possible product arrives at the customer's tap and it stays fresh and clean as it's moving through the network. Yeah, no, I mean, that, I mean, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? You know, obviously, if you get that real-time data, you can make decisions based on the data that you're receiving rather than rather than obviously waiting 24 hours, 48 hours for, for and this, I suppose that, that moves back to the, the point you made at the very beginning in that it moves from a reactive uh, team to a much more proactive model. That's exactly, that's exactly what we're aiming for. Yeah. Yeah, it is. The other um, interesting factor is that the, the other use that we see for this, particularly within our area, is for our most vulnerable customers. Um, I mentioned they're sort of our large customer, our commercial customers, but actually we have a lot of hospitals within our area. Uh, actually, I was working with Gary very recently on the French Hay, um, the, uh, the Surge Hospital, the COVID Hospital, the Nightingale, um, which is up at our UE um, site, which is University West of England in the Bristol area. And we're actually able to use this type of technology to, to 
to in areas of the network where we know we've got vulnerable customers where water is essential. So, as I say, I was citing their hospitals, but you also things like large chemical um, users, uh, breweries, that that type of thing, where actually if you've got a situation where you are without water, it becomes very, very serious. You know, it, it is a matter in terms of the hospital usage, things like public health have then become affected. But actually, we were able to use a site box provided by ACI. Um, we're actually able to have 24-hour monitoring and, and real-time monitoring for, for the, the um, Nightingale Hospital. So that worked really well. And it, again, it's just that, about that reassurance for the customer. Yeah, and that's sort of lift and shift. That's very much a sort of portable lift and shift type. That's the other thing that digitalization has brought along, low power, is that things don't need mains power anymore. You can literally move them around as you need them. So field hospitals like that one was a classic example of where there was a requirement to measure the water quality going in. They didn't have it on site, and we could just roll it in, and I think 15, 20 minutes, you're up and running, and you know what's going on. Mm -hmm. So this this leads on to my sort of next question really well actually, and I, I feel like we have covered it, but I feel like there are there may also be some deeper layers to to tap into. But to me, as a consumer, when yeah. a water company would be talking, you know, potentially about adopting to these digital technologies, I would immediately think this is going to increase my bill. So what, I mean, this is obviously a, a fine challenge for, for water companies to, to adopt these te technologies whilst also managing consumer bills. Um, but I suppose non-financially, what are the main implications to consumers when adopting these systems? It's a really good question. That is a really good question because everyone thinks every, anything, you know, coming along is going to cost money. The way, the way I view this is... is it's perhaps different to some people. There's a big focus from the regulator uh, from off what, the financial part of the regulation, on leakage. Uh, and so when it comes to water quality, I wouldn't say it gets hijacked, but it's not as important as leakage. And there's a reason why, because as a financial regulator, they're there to ensure that the water company delivers value for money. If you pay a pound for a litre of water, you want, a you want your litre of water. You don't want, you don't want 0.7 of a litre because the rest of it's leaked. And so the way the regulator works is that they, they won't allow a water company to borrow any more money or they'll put financial constraints on them about raising prices until they can demonstrate they're delivering value for money. So that's the first thing. And, and digital smart water will allow us to be quicker and proactive about dealing with leakage. It will improve leakage. There's no question about that because we can see things before they occur. So it will actually save, save money. It will make sure the water industry is delivering value for money. The next thing, which is, again, slightly controversial, is from where I stand and probably from where Samantha stands as well, is because we're water quality people. And, and I've always said that we shouldn't lose sight of whilst we're pursuing leakage, and it's a good thing to do, of quality. Because if we lose the confidence of the general public to drink what's coming out of their tap, we're all finished. Because people will just fold their arms and not pay their bills. <laughs> so, you know, we, we have to address the water quality side. And, and what it will do is it will make us more efficient. And we can come on to that in a moment, but it will make us more efficient. And we don't have to see prices rising massively. Yeah, no, no, I totally agree, Gary. And it's also just to sort of um, say that actually there are mechanisms within Offwatt to protect customers. So there isn't, there isn't, a, there isn't a mechanism actually where we can pass it on to the customer like that. It's um, the customer is protected. Um, in terms of what we do, though, 
in terms of we as a water company there we have to prove that we are there's several different aspects we have to prove that we are producing the product for the, a reasonable cost um, but for us obviously as a water company the costs are, are rising for us as well one of the largest costs actually for a water company is pumping so it's, it's it's electricity costs so as water companies we look for new and innovative ways in order to manage those costs to keep that product the same or if not better so improving the quality for this for the same cost so we're looking at a more economical way to do things you're know, more ecologically friendly um, but also it's about managing the customer expectation as, as we move, move forward you know through life um i think we're all customers of, of one form or another you know and and we expect things to be um you know as we want them as i say water is essential it's an essential part of life and it should be able to be taken for granted um a lot of this is well we don't people don't want inconvenience they don't want supply interruptions so they don't want to be able to turn the tap on and find that there has been a, you know a, an interruption to supply either through a leak or through a burst and they also don't want discolored water because there are rare occasions unfortunately when we do get these burst water mains where it stirs up some of the historic deposits that we we're talking about cast iron mains earlier but actually the water water you know can at times come through for a short period of time quite cloudy or discolored and people don't want that you know whilst it is generally safe and harmless it wouldn't appear so is it when it you know obviously arrives at your tap so we need to prevent all these things and obviously manage that customer experience and expectation. And also for a water company, we want our customers to trust us. So we want them to know that we're doing the very best for them and actually making sure that the quality is being assured. Mm-hmm. And the same thing can be said about chlorination. Disinfection is a very big part of, of delivering safe drinking water. Uh, it's interesting to know, you know, that there's never been a complaint in the UK from a customer for no chlorine. <laughs> <laughs> because there's plenty of complaints where there's too much chlorine, but never there's not enough. But if you think about it, it's just as dangerous from a health point of view not to have any chlorine. So there's a sweet spot. And yeah. what this type of instrumentation does, as well as me- measuring turbidity for, you know, you know, discoloration of water, chlorine, just getting it right. So when it arrives mm-hmm. at the tap, it's not too much. You know, it isn't it isn't tasting like a swimming pool, which everyone thinks. It's it's just enough though to make sure there's no bacteria there and it is safe to drink. And and we've I think sometimes we lose sight. We're very lucky in the UK. We are very lucky. There are many parts of the globe that are west of us where they don't have a regulator to the extent that we do, and they have serious problems all the time with water quality. They really do. Yeah. No, I mean I I, com- I completely agree. And uh, I suppose this, this this brings it on to my, my next question. My next couple of questions are more forward thinking. Um, so mm-hmm. it's more as we move forward, there will naturally be a bit of a talent gap, you know, for both water companies and their supply chain, you know, as the networks do become more digital. So I suppose, Samantha, we'll start off with you, but how do you see the industry bridging that talent gap as the you know as the industry does become more digital yeah absolutely um i see this lyle as like with this digital technology it's another tool within our arsenal i think in terms of sort of skills and competencies within the water industry we're not actually very good at identifying or actually promoting the types of um skills or roles that we do actually have what i think the water industry will certainly be looking for as we move forward is more analytical thinkers um they're there i think within the water industry certainly within um yeah within water companies um, we actually employ all sorts of um, personnel we have software engineers we have chemical uh, chemists biologists we have geographers um, we have all all sorts of different disciplines actually 
um, say they're actually there already. But I, I think in terms of the skills gap, it, people will be changing the way that they do things. So they'll be using this as, you know, using this technology um, and, and analytically thinking. Oh, certainly. I mean, one of the things that I've heard before other presenters and conferences say is that we're not sexy <laughs> we're not sexy as a business we don't attract we're too modest yeah that's right we don't we don't attract um analyticals if you if you're into analytics analytics nowadays data analytics go and work for a bank go and work for an insurance company they pay well you know but younger people i think do think differently especially millennials you know they they know about climate change they know about the value of water and there is a place for, for, for new skills coming in um, and digital analytics, looking at water quality and how all these different all these data sets merge together to give you a much more coherent picture to act upon is actually quite sexy. And I think we will attract more young people. But as Samantha says also, it's about upskilling the people we've got. Um, I heard recently that um, in the USA alone, there's 1.4 million people just employed within the water companies. 1.4 million people just within the water company. And over the next 10 years, over 55% of those are going to retire. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. So that is a big challenge for us all um, to, to, to make the industry attractive to bring in new people. So, you know, embracing IoT, embracing digital technology and analytics will attract a younger audience of people in but we also need to upskill you know the skills we've got the chemists that we've got uh, and for me it's you know pulling that through i need to be able to demonstrate that we can pull that actionable insight that these data will bring to to become important and valuable to you and it's pulling it through so we, we there is a there is a you know we do need to upskill I mean, another question for, for you, Samantha, and it was something that you mentioned earlier. Um, obviously, you, within your team at the moment, have a team of samplers. And yes, yeah. that team of samplers essentially becomes redundant in a way with the, you know, the adoption of these technologies because obviously these technologies are doing the real-time monitoring. So how do you see your team shifting yeah, absolutely. So that's quite scary, Lark. So I definitely don't see them becoming made redundant. Um, currently, we spend a lot of time going out and taking the water samples, but actually the, the skills that these people have, actually they've got other skills that um, I spend a lot of time sending them out in the field, taking the samples. But actually what I want them to do is be able to look, a look. I mean, they come back and they, part of their job is actually sitting and analysing data already. I want them to be able to, instead of um, driving around in the van, um, and again, it's, we talked earlier on about carbon neutrality, and you know, trying to be more environmentally friendly I don't want them driving around the patch in the van I actually want them to be able to um, do t target their efforts so I want them to be actually to understand the network a lot better through the work they're doing and actually look at as I say we talked about trending but actually get to know the network using the real-time water quality data and using the historic data as well so using the skills they've already got and actually target their efforts to be honest to so be out, out there in the field and actually looking at things um, like the conditions of the mains um, talking to customers and actually also working out where we would where we would next focus our efforts but yeah much more targeted so i don't see anybody at all um not having work they would just be doing different things to be honest um and bearing in mind these people that take the water samples they are actually all the stem stem careers that we talk about already so actually this is just 
you might you might say actually that it's not best to use their time at the moment driving around in the van taking the water samples because actually they've, they've got skills that can be really easily used elsewhere I suppose just to quickly jump in, I didn't necessarily mean that they would be made redundant, just the, the, the process of sampling, <laughs> just simply that bit. Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, well actually, the, the, the point you're making is, 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 um, is interesting in another way because there are various, from the supply chain side, there's various people talk about different business models. And if you, if you assume that, you know, the 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 study of the analytics to give you the the insight is where the value is for the business there are some there are some business models out there that say that there's a they can move towards the idea of water as a solution so there's some very large engineering companies huge engineering companies out there that can provide you know end to end solutions for this and they will come in they'll 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 put all the smart infrastructure in they'll they'll link it all together they'll digitalize it all and then they will actually do the analytics and just pass the information back and so a water company will actually pay for that as a resource and i think that i don't think that'll happen in the uk because i don't think the regulator will allow it to happen because they like asset investment but i think in the developing world where there you know mm. the population is still growing yeah, yeah. that that model is very much sort of doable in a developing world but i'm not so sure that it's a model that would readily fit into our you know the way that we operate here no it's probably worth also mentioning that there is um we talk about all the good things and there are many actually within line there are also some things it's, it's never we're not probably ever going to reach a point actually in the next decade or so where we actually obsolete water sampling there's always a place for water sampling because there are actually some parameters so some uh, chemical or physical things that we would actually look for, microbiological things that actually you will need to go out in the field and you will need to test for. Um, there are, for example, we test for well, we test for hundreds of different parameters each week, including anything from we talked about chlorine stability, but all the way up to things like pesticides that are in the water, things like that. So we know almost everything there is to know about water. Um, in so many different ways and a lot of those tests actually they, they can't be done in line at the moment it's not to say they can't in the future but actually we're not quite there yet and, we, and there are some also some other reasons for, for not doing that um so i think there'll always be a need to take water samples but as i say we need to be much more focused actually and instead of i mean for us as a company we spend millions of pounds a year if i'm honest in testing water and, th and that's absolutely fine of course, that's part of, of the model. But actually, we want to be certain that we're doing that in the right places and actually making it as accurate as we possibly can, as quick as we can. Yes, yeah, certainly. And, and I'd add to that that there's a growing, there's a phrase that's used in the water industry called fingerprinting. And it, it's it's not directly brought around through the customer's experience. It's brought around through uh, water security. You know, that there, there is a, we do have to live with the fact that, you know, we live in a changing world and there are threats in, in various parts of the world. Uh, and, you know, water is, is, is something very sensitive and we need to, we need to safeguard that. And so there are critical, critical parts in the supply chain where we do need to have digitalization and sampling very, very quickly in case something unfortunate did happen. And as Samantha said, you're never going to replace a proper laboratory analysis but what you can do with water quality sensors is measure surrogate measurements. Yeah, yeah. Water's dynamic; it's chemistry. Mm -hmm. If something something happens to it, someone adds something to it, yeah, to, to, to damage it in any way, other indicators will suggest 
to you that something's going wrong. Yeah. 95 or 99.9% of the time, we just open pray that everything's okay. It's when, when something goes wrong, we need to know very, very quickly and we need to be able to act very, very fast. And surrogate measurements from sensors won't cover everything, but they'll be a very strong indicator that something's not right and we can act. Absolutely, yeah, I really echo that. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it seems as if, you know, the industry is shifting in the right direction. And I suppose, again, this this kind of leads on to my next question. And it'll be interesting to see, again, the, the two different points of view here. But what do you think the future holds, you know, for, for the water industry? We're obviously at this point now where digital solutions are readily available on the market and they do seem to be now becoming adopted. But what you know, we'll start off with you, Gary. Where where do you see the industry in in ten years or twenty years time? Oh, that's an interesting question to ask a man of my age. Um, <laughs> I've been in the industry for thirty years. I, I I can say with all sincerity that I think this is probably the most exciting time. I actually came into the industry when it was privatised. Uh, that was that was a huge change, but I think we're actually on the edge of of, of even bigger change. We really are, and it's a very exciting time um for me to see that um and and as you know ati were recently acquired by badger meter of america uh things are changing very very fast uh we were acquired by a company that has aspirations and they see a very very bright future for water um we're going through oh, an economic recession globally normally what follows that is infrastructure investment so all the indicators would suggest that for the water industry, it's a very bright future. It really is a very bright future. But it, but it also is the foundation of that is it's needed. It's necessary. We can't wait much longer. We need to move. Highlighted by obviously the the announcements over in the US as well. Oh, with one point nine trillion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's not only in the UK, but yeah, I mean, I suppose. Next question, or same question to, to you, Samantha, you know, where do you see the uh, the industry heading? Yeah, absolutely. So I think certainly within the next 30 to 50 years, it's going to be unrecognisable. So I think within the UK here, um, there's various different things that are required of the water industry, to be honest. But I think for all of us, it's going to be it's going to be more carbon neutral. There's going to be a drive towards chemical free um, water treatment. Um, but we obviously there's lots of things, obviously, that we've talked about today that actually we need to do before we can reach that stage. So our networks need to be cleaner and they need to be smarter. Um, I think for me, what I'd love to see, and I, this is what we're obviously working to, is like an integrate, integrated hydraulic and quality models for all the network. Interconnected, absolutely. Um, so that actually, yeah, so that actually we know what the pressure of flow are doing. We know where the water's moving. Um, we have that full, really good understanding of what it looks like for us so that we're actually able to tweak things and we're actually able to, to make informed decisions um, to, to have that continuity, to be honest. Um, I think it's also for the customers, though. It's also it, it's that piece around sort of trust as well, isn't it, and everything. And I think with this, this is a huge customer piece. And I think in the next few years, customers are very, very alert and they really understand and they're interested, actually, in how water is produced. Um, so we want them to have that better understanding and they want to be able to see that actually what they're paying for is being produced in, in a really sort of innovative and effective manner and that it is safe and clean. Yeah, and I, I'll just add to that what I should have said with, with Badger, Badger Meter is, uh, you know, historically as a company, they're involved in uh, in uh, the sort of measurement of uh, quantity 
of water, household meters for billing and moving water around from one place to another. But bringing water quality together with water, with, with quantity and quality together, I can mm-hmm. see in the next 10 years that the technologies will become much closer. And I, I can see long, long after I've left the industry, a time where people will have low cost water quality and quantity in their house connected up through yeah. their digital yeah. You know, portal, going back, apps, everything like that. It's very much customer yeah, focused. Smart meters. Yeah, smart meters, smart water quality, all there from an app so a customer can see what's going on. That's the way it's going. Already, you know, sort of facilities management business is going that way. Um, and it's driving it. it the technology is not quite yet, there yet, but it, but it's definitely aiming in that direction, yeah. We're getting tantalisingly close, though. We are. We are. We are, indeed. Well, fingers crossed for that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that is a pretty good point to uh, to end it for, for today. Yeah. So, uh, you know, on behalf of everyone listening, thank you very much, Gary. Thank you very much, Samantha. It's uh, It's been a really interesting conversation. Um, obviously, if anybody listening... Um, does have any questions then please don't hesitate to, to get in contact um, but yeah I'll um, I'll let you both get on and, and enjoy your weekends um, so yeah thank you very much for joining and uh, everyone stay safe and take care oh it's been a pleasure thank you very much indeed thank you it's always good to talk All right. see you again Cheers, have a guys. great weekend bye bye take care bye Hello and welcome to CM Conversations. I'm today's host, Lyle King, and my role at CM Industrial is to specialise in recruitment for the water and wastewater markets across the globe. In this episode of CM Conversation, I talked to Gary Tabor, MD of Analytical Technology, ATI, a business that was recently acquired by US-based Badgermeter, along with Samantha Vince, Head of Water Quality at UK water company, Bristol Water. In my conversation with Gary and Samantha, we discuss how digital solutions are changing the landscape of the water industry and what we must do to bridge the talent gap. So here it is. I hope you enjoy listening to our discussion.